0: Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer.
1: Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Brennan Hodge. He is the CEO of Citizen Health. Uh, Brennan, thanks for coming on the podcast today.
0: Thanks for the invite, Eric.
1: Hey, so the reason I wanted you on here, um, you had posted something interesting on Twitter uh, that was this huge thread about something you worked on previously that was kind of an ins- insurance scheme, if you will. Can you kind of elaborate on what it was and what was going on in regards to a compounding pharmacy?
0: Sure. Yeah, this was my previous company called Pharmedio, and this started in 2012. I get a phone call from a uh, high school classmate I haven't talked to in years, and she asked if I could build some software for a compounding pharmacy. And I knew what compounding was. I had a background in, in pharmacy and in healthcare. So I kind of was curious of why and what exactly it was. So the next day I met with the, the CEO of this pharmacy down here in the Southeast. And they had, at the time they had five pharmacies. And I was like, all right, yeah, that's a good project. So started working with them to train their sales reps. We're basically building um, a platform to help train their sales reps in the medications and just the pathways and how, this, how these drugs work. And then we got on to um, the selling side where the reps would actually talk with positions and place those special orders. We customized script pads, um, basically kind of closed the loop in the sales process. And that went on from 2012 to 2016. And uh, essentially, we we the software we built allowed a huge uh, fraud and legal fraud to happen for those few years. Um, for the most part, we had, I'll put it this way, we actually solved a good problem. <laughs> Here's the thing is sales reps, they couldn't scale with this model. So we actually built a way that, that allowed these sales forces to scale out rapidly. And in hindsight, that was the gas that was thrown on the fire because there were just so many people, so many sales reps that got into this game. And, you know, from uh, 2012 to 2016, we had all in all, it was around 200 pharmacies, about 150 pharmacies at one point from coast to coast that were on this platform. Um, thousand, probably about 15,000 sales reps all in all, uh, about 100 physicians working on this platform, a uh, handful of PBMs, uh, Cardinal Health was a big one, and Phoenix PBM was another one. And uh, they basically just orchestrated this whole entire scheme. And I'll sum it up. I always like to just say sum it up with this one time I watched a pharmaceutical sales rep make $500,000 a day in commission from a compounded medication. Uh, It was $23 million in about three months. And that was in in late 2015. I realized that something's going on here. This is not, something's not right. And these were compounded medications, just like any any compounding pharmacy out there. And also there's specialty pharmacies here. And these were typical transdermal pain creams. Um, There were some wound creams. I mean, this simple stuff like ketamine, baclofen, uh, gabapentin, stuff like that, diclofenac. And you look at the, the cost for these drugs, I mean, we're talking about $20, $30, $40, and they were billing insurance companies for a few thousand. Um, and later on, around 2015, they, I guess these pharmacies got bold, and they started playing a game, and this is where the downfall was. Is they started playing a game where they were trying to maximize reimbursement as much as they possibly could. So they were submitting uh, a claim, and they were seeing how much it would be billed for and they were reversing that and they were just playing a game, just kind of putting in different NDC codes and it, they got to the point where they were billing about $25,000 per prescription That's and wow. insurance companies were paying that. Yeah. And the thing was, is they, it was a game because you could see a sales rep go to a particular doctor and this doctor would write three prescriptions per patient. Each prescription was $25,000. So $75,000 per patient. And these were on 30 day supplies. Um, it was a three month prescription every 30 days. It would automatically rebuild and reship. It was just kind of like drop shipping. Wow. <laughs> and you can imagine at $75,000 a patient that gets on up there.
1: Yeah. And
0: you can clearly see, you can start seeing, you know, physician's last name. And then you see three or four of the patients that are the same last name. And you can just start connecting the dots. And I I had a bird's eye view of all this. I mean, people couldn't see this, but uh, I was privy to all this information. And I didn't know what to do with it. Once I started seeing these potentially fraudulent activities, I I just, I really didn't know what to do. I talked to my attorney and he kind of knew something was going on too, because he, represented a, a few of these clients in, in Mississippi. So I kind of just sat back and, and figured out what I was going to do. I knew I had to get out of this and all kind of, it came to a head one time when I was, uh, let me say, I was in, I don't know, Eric, if you want to get to this, as far as the data part, I guess I'll segue into that. But the, the data part, I was at a call center and this was in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. And my role was to consult and use our software to help, scale their operations uh okay sure and uh, as i was sitting there they i think that day they dialed up it was about thirty-five thousand phone calls which that seems like a lot to me yeah. they had just a couple dozen people working there and uh later i was informed this was a very small call center all the big ones are in costa rica um, but what they would do is they would first, let's back up. So you see a Google ad saying, oh, do you have back pain or, or whatever that is. It's, they generate leads from just simple Google ads and Facebook ads. And somebody might say, yeah, back pain. They sign up for a free neck brace or something like that or uh, knee brace. And they submit their information and the, the call center would actually call that patient. Then they'll call that patient and they get their, their insurance card and they would figure out what <laughs> – so what insurance, what BIN number, what insurance would pay, like what insurance they had and what products that insurance would pay. And then they would just go down the decision tree trying to figure out what can we get away with? What can we bill this patient for? Jesus. And yeah, I mean, it was, they they did not care at all. It was like, we got somebody on the phone, we're going to sell them something. And this was smoking cessation, knee braces, uh, wheelchairs, compounded medication, I mean, all across the board, everything. And They would, this is really what, this was kind of the final nail in the coffin. They would transfer the patient over to a doctor, and it wasn't a doctor. Like this, to basically confirm, and the doctors, the physicians were actually writing, signing the scripts, never even talking to the patient. And that's kind of that's what the FBI cracked down on these people for <laughs> and to yeah. jump ahead the FBI did crack down on these people about three or four months after that a particular visit but uh, I was sitting around with these these call center guys and It was a, actually a big meeting kind of like a conference of a lot of these uh, pharmacies and the, the some of the PBM guys and the whole time nobody's talking about the patient it was all about how can we maximize every dollar that we that we can make. How can we bill for max adjudication? And I actually asked like, "Y'all, you know, you got a lot of medications here. Does this stuff even work? Do you really know?" I was kind of halfway joking, and they said, "We really don't care. It's huh. it's all about the money." And I mean, it just kind of hit me that they don't care at all about this, and we're just contributing. We as me, I was the one doing this too. You know, I was contributing to higher insurance prices, higher premiums the next year. I mean, it's just the logical, what's going to happen. So um, then I realized after that trip that I've got to do something different. And the FBI did uh, in January, uh, January 2016, they actually had some coordinated SWAT team like RAIDS with, it was five pharmacies in one particular day. And uh, I was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi at the time and the biggest pharmacy was right there in Hattiesburg. And I happened to share a parking lot with the FBI field office. Hmm. <laughs> so they impounded, it, it was like 13 very nice vehicles, a couple boats, and impounded them right there. And I'm sitting out here talking to the FBI agent. He had no clue what we were doing next door. And uh, I'm sitting here talking to him, like, yeah, I'll be talking to you soon, probably. <laughs> and sure enough, I, I talked to them multiple times, I was um I did not want to get subpoena, and this was, like I said, 2016, so I haven't said anything since then, but finally, the trials, everything's wrapped up, and the final people in this particular scheme have been sentenced. One was sentenced to, to nine years, 13 years, 14 years, and one, the last one, the head guy, he's yet to be sentenced, but he's got a max of 20, so he's probably going to be like 15, 16. And they are got to pay back hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, they, this is a, a $2.5 billion fraud at this point and you know just it's just sickening to see this level of greed and the thing was it started off with good intentions you know i I thought that i was getting into a personalized medicine uh, software project where these people they were you know on opioids they were having problems functioning at work because they were forklift drivers that was the common story that was being told and uh this would help kind of wouldn't get make them drowsy it would kind of eliminate their pain and some of the wound stuff, it actually did work. So I mean, it was I saw the studies on it; and it had very good results. But they just got to that point where they got greedy, and I think that's the the nature of healthcare. And when you're dealing with insurance, is you just kind of get a little greedy, and it led to their downfall. What, so that's what the, kind of the the story of that.
1: One thing you mentioned as we were leading up to this was that you sold some of these to PBMs, and that. They were kind of, for lack of a better term, in cahoots with this and importing stuff or working to import stuff from China. Can you elaborate, kind of like how they had their thumb on the scale in this and how they how they were involved with some of these less than ethical pharmacies?
0: Yeah, so I'll start with the first one is, is Cardinal Health this PBM, and um, you know this is they pharmacy. Every put it this way. So let's back up a little bit. The data out there on prescribers' habits on basically all your healthcare data, it's sold to the highest bidder. And we know that. Uh, I saw one stat where pharmacy data is, it's sold before you even leave the pharmacy parking lot. Hmm. And uh, so Cardinal, they actually wanted to know, they wanted access to our data. So we started creating an API for them to access the, um, Kind of uh, de-identified data, prescribers' habits, um, just the pulse of compounding and specialty pharmacies across the country, because they were they were buying pharmacies, and know that's when I started realizing that okay, PBMs they got a, a dog in this hunt too. What you know? How can we help them at the time? And then I realized that they're playing a different game. Uh, another another PBM, the particular customs case, they were buying from China. They were buying, I mean, this was like lidocaine, diclofenac. I don't know what exactly what medications it was in China, but their orders were in between 10 to $15 million every time. And it was a very shady deal. Uh, they would talk about, we can get this through customs. I have a friend, a cousin that works in the, the embassy or the customs department, and they can help us get this through. And the thing was, the PBMs would get multiple cuts of this. So they would buy wholesale that'd come over here to America and they would distribute it out to multiple pharmacies. And then the PBM would hire a marketing company that they weren't associated, but they would hire a, a marketing company to go represent this, these medications for these pharmacies. So the marketing reps would go out there and promote these medications the marketing team would get a cut on commission and that cut would go back to the PBM. So PBMs would get it on the, the selling to the pharmacies, the marketing fee, and of course all your rebates and stuff like that. So they had, they had their hands in the cookie jar a lot. And that's what kind of opened my eyes to PBMs. And they always said that they had four revenue sources from one deal. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of a uh, David Contorno from EPower benefits, I believe I watched a, co- a talk he gave And he broke down Optum. They have 82 revenue sources. (sighs) Mind-blowing. And uh, I wish you would. uh, Go ahead. ahead. I need to find that presentation. But 82 revenue revenue sources. He talked for an hour about how they actually made all their money. My mind was blown. I thought I knew how they made their money. Not even close. So, um, you know, we saw that happen. And, uh, yes, that's the dealings with PBMs that we had. And this would go on. This went on for a couple of years. Um, They were buying their own pharmacies. They had a lot of uh, illegal uh, LLCs set up across the country. I mean, there were, I know about 50 LLCs. They had different set up where different percentages were owned by different groups. And you know how that shell corporations really breaking it up, but it was all legal. And uh, with all these cases that went down and all the, the court proceedings, none of that was mentioned because it was all legal. Um, doctors were owning pharmacies and they were prescribing medication these twenty five thousand dollars a pop medication sending patients directly there um there was a a lot of stuff that was happening that's still happening to till this day and it's just it's the way the laws are set up for this to happen so um you know nothing nothing really changed very much with all this
1: what what's interesting is we have seen some changes to compounding pharmacies and some of the rules whether it be the um the compliance you have to be in to keep them clean. We've seen some crackdown on it where and I was talking even leading up to this podcast where if I bill a 35 or $100 compounded medication, I know there's one I have for a patient that is a tacrolimus compound for a kid and it comes like $105. And because it's over $100, the insurance gives me grief every single time. And I'm like, this is literally an anti-rejection med for this child. Like this is a hundred bucks. This is not the big deal. What we're going after with some of this. Um, which is kind of, goes to your point that some of these people are charging 25,000. So I guess they got to put the limit somewhere. And then other interesting thing you said is I think of Cardinal as more of a wholesaler and drug distributor, not realizing that they are involved in some of these PBM games. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. The, um, the, the, the thing that we see with PBMs a lot of time in most pharmacies is they're paying people different rates. So like Abilify or like Imatinib are ones that, um, have a very high markup but what they pay themselves for the pharmacies they own like you mentioned is very different than what they pay an independent or a small chain pharmacy down the road that doesn't have anywhere near the negotiating power in fact i think arkansas brought that one to the light with a cvs and obviously there's a supreme court case coming that's going to deal with the regulation of pbms that's based out of arkansas which could kind of change this whole game and put a lot of light in these uh these dirty corners of healthcare, if you will have you been following that at all uh, not
0: quite. I, I kind of got out of compounding game as soon as all this stuff happened. But I will kind of add to that point. I did see some of this happening, for instance, with this call center. Um, this is some of the software we started working on, and I decided to pull the plug. But we could basically understand across the country, we had about 150 pharmacies, what pharmacy had the best contract with what payer, and which one was paying the most, what product was getting covered the most. And you could route the actual prescription and send it to different states and different pharmacies to get paid more. And I mean, it was just a big game. And that's when I was like, okay, this, we got to the point where these call centers are making about 5 million a day. And we kind of did some math. We're like, we could actually make about a hundred to $200 million a day doing this. Um, Massive amount of money, and that's when I realized that okay, if we did this, the FBI would be knocking on our door. There's <laughs> no doubt. So, so no, not gonna do this. So, do and, you think? Uh, that yeah. The, so that was. They would.
1: Those, do you think that the PBM should just be eliminated of some sort or massively reeled in?
0: Absolutely, okay. eliminated. I have yet to see a um, something good come from them. Um, <laughs> you know, middlemen. They are needed at some point. But for PBMs, I have yet to find something that they just can do perfectly and they actually add value to the equation. Um, no, they should be eliminated, in my opinion. I'm, I'm on the opinion of most middlemen can be eliminated with the better software that we have now, especially blockchain software. Um that's just That's interesting. in healthcare in general, insurance,
1: yeah. Yeah, If cutting out the PBMs would massively streamline the prior authorization uh, process. I know currently you work with doctor's offices at Citizen Health and streamlining some of these type of things. So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense if we could streamline some of these and make sure that we're putting patient care over profit optimization, I mean, maybe cost reduction instead of profit optimization would be a better way of looking at it, which I know how the PBMs sell it. But clearly you're saying this is a case where they just said, I don't care about profit. I don't necessarily care about the therapy, which is kind of what a lot of us pharmacists have thought for a while. But to actually see it printed and see, hear someone talk about it who's involved in a a massive multi-million, multi-billion dollar case like this, that's huge. And it kind of justifies what we see every day at the counter. We're going, this doesn't make any sense. So I'm glad that you spoke up and I'm glad you... You know, even though you might have uh, made the product, it was not inherently what you were trying to do and that you spoke up and helped get people like this uh, arrested for what they were doing. In every field, whether it be compounding pharmacy or it be physicians, there's always bad actors. And it sounds like this was a perfect combination of PBMs, physicians, and pharmacies all kind of tied into one here. Is, is that correct?
0: Yes. Mm, this is uh, This is the nature of putting profit before people. I mean, it's just a game. You know, you're gonna play a game to maximize profit. Eventually, it's gonna get off track, and you're gonna say, this doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. Just
0: like you said, and that's, uh, that's where this got, and I think that's where pharmaceutical spending in general is getting. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what I saw.
1: Okay, great. Um, I just wanna keep this as like a, a shorter one, but I do have two questions I ask everyone who come on here, and they're related to pharmacy. So, if you could change one thing about pharmacy, anything in general, not necessarily one law, but one thing, what would you change?
0: I don't know if I would change anything, um, but I would say that we should rely on robots and AI a whole lot more. I mean, it's coming. We're, it's, yeah. Regardless, it, it's coming. And if your job can be taken and replaced by a AI or a robot, it should. And I think pharmacists should move in that role of more of patient care um, and helping the patient, talking with the patient, trying to get the patient off medication, trying to get them on a healthier lifestyle. I think look, pharmacists can play a much bigger role in patient's health than they do now. Um, and, yeah, I'm sure you see that, too. Yeah. And I think a lot of times your your scope is limited by the law. And if you look at it, I mean, pharmacies, there is a pharmacy in just about every small town. Yep. There's Sometimes there's not doctors. <laughs> and I'm a, a, a PCP. And I think that you could uh, kind of roll out more services there. And you're talking about doing COVID-19 testing. Uh, I think pharmacies are starting to expand in that category of more patient care, doing flu shots and such like that. Uh, I just think there's a bigger role for pharmacies. They could be more converted to kind of help patients with a healthier lifestyle, maybe nutrition guidance or something like that. I've always thought the pharmacies pharmacies should get into um, uh, customized meals, Patients kind of an add on product, uh, but the, I think pharmacies, like I said, it's just about in every small town and they have a big role to play that just is not getting utilized right now.
1: Yeah, provider status is one of those things holding us back because you start going from billing Medicare mm-hmm. B to Medicare Part D and with the PBM game and it changes the dynamic pretty quickly. Um, if there was one law that you know of that you could change about pharmacy, what would it be? <laughs>
0: the, the biggest HIPAA, all of it, <laughs> redo it, okay. um, and not specific, not specific to to pharmacy, but specific to healthcare in general. Um, it was just it was created before the technologies that we have now, and it's really limiting things, limiting things we can do. Um, in general, I think we need to revisit that, and I, I believe in the particular uh, patient. Um, Keeping patient data safe, I don't think the government is the best one to roll out that stuff right now. Um, I think we need to look more to the the consumer side and the the private sector to do a lot of these regu- types of regulations and kind of data protection. Uh, I, moving forward, I think we will see stuff like that because a lot of our laws are archaic, yeah, and they could be better. So that's that's my one is HIPAA.
1: Okay. Well, hey, thanks for coming on, Brennan Hodge. I appreciate it, and good luck with Citizen Health there.
0: All right. Thank you, Eric. Have a good
1: one. And thanks, listeners, again. uh, Subscribe or share us where you can. And thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.